We began the season of Lent Wednesday evening with an Ash Wednesday service here. It was a solemn evening, even somber in tone as Ash Wednesday often is because in the course of the evening, we announced to the church the passing of Patty Martin's mother, Joyce. We learned of a mass shooting in South Florida And what some of you may not have been aware of, if you attended, Jim and Betty Madry's six children came forward to receive ashes, knowing that their father was on his deathbed. It was a somber evening, but I remind you, although Lent is a time for reflection, a time for repentance, a time for honest looks at ourselves individually and at our church, The season ends with the victory over those ashes that represent death, and let us not lose sight of that. Pastor Bob just read to you this morning's scripture. The event that we are going to talk about today, one of the seven events that we will teach about in the coming weeks, is the event of the betrayal. The betrayal came first, and I'm going to reread that text. It's not very long because it began a sequence of events that ended with the empty tomb. But the treachery that took place before the tomb was emptied is treachery that still exists today. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they count out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What was he thinking? What could a disciple who had followed Jesus be thinking to do such a thing? Let's look at Judas for a moment because we're very quick to condemn him. And what he did was worthy of condemnation. But sometimes we stop there and we don't look in the mirror. And as we look at the seven events that took place that led to the cross and to the empty tomb, there were human beings like you and me. They were called disciples who made mistake after mistake, who did wrong after wrong. And if we can't learn from what they did, then there's no point in retelling the tales. We don't know how Jesus met or called Judas. He really isn't the center of any story other than the stories that relate to the eventual betrayal. He's always named last in the list of disciples, and usually with the tagline, the one who betrayed Jesus. So what motivated him? The first and obvious motivation that we learned from this morning's text was money. He wanted money. But it goes deeper than Judas wanting 30 pieces of silver, because a week before, the disciples gathered at the home of Lazarus, and Mary, and Martha. And Mary poured out a vial of perfume, a large amount of expensive perfume, on the Lord's feet. And Judas, according to John's gospel, was the one who complained and said, why is she wasting that that could have been sold to support the poor? But John's gospel tells us that Judas didn't really care about the poor. You see, he was entrusted by the other disciples with their common purse, 
And he wanted the money in the purse because he was a thief and he used to help himself to the money. But that cannot be the only reason that Jesus, Judas be, betrayed our Lord. There was a matter of pride, and lots of us know lots about pride. Maybe he was stung by Jesus' rebuke when Jesus said to him, leave her alone. This perfume that she's poured on me was to be used to anoint me at my burial. Maybe he wanted to show that he was more independent than the other disciples. Judas was the only disciple, so I have read from the scholars that he was the only disciple that called Jesus rabbi rather than Lord. The name Iscariot. It's a Greek version of the name Keraoth, Keraoth, which is a town that's in Judah. And what this means is that Judas's family came from the town of Keraoth. And that was a place in Judah, far from Galilee, by today's standards anyway. He was the only disciple who was not from Galilee. And there were times when the people who were from Judah, from towns like the one that Judas came from, thought they were purer Jews and better than others. His attitude toward Jesus sometimes had a rebellious tone. We know that Judas didn't betray Jesus in a burst of temper or a fit of temporary insanity. It was calculating. It was deceitful. It was conspiratorial. He sought out the high priest. And his betrayal had an extra measure of vindictiveness. He sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And 30 pieces of silver, don't think of a silver dollar. Think of a nickel or think of a dime. 30 pieces of silver, if we read Exodus, was the price that was paid for a slave if someone's bull gored a slave. It was the wage of a shepherd, the lowliest of all occupations, and how appropriate it is that Judas betrayed Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, and the one who washed the feet of his disciples as though he was a slave, betrayed him for the paltry sum of 30 pieces of silver. And then to add insult to injury, he betrayed him with a kiss. But that's a message that will come later in the series. But there was something even more relevant going on that we often don't acknowledge. And I think this was the real motivation for Judas. Judas was influenced, many, many believe, by the zealot party of the Jewish people. The zealots were people who wanted a political messiah a conqueror in the tradition of King David, a liberator from Rome, Judas may have had leanings or been influenced by them, and he may have been frustrated when his Messiah didn't live up to his desires and his expectations for what the Messiah should be. He watched Jesus energize crowds. He watched Jesus gives sight to the blind. He watched Jesus feed 5,000 with a few fishes and loaves. He watched Jesus cast out demons, and he was trying to force the Lord's hand to use that power for the political purpose that he wanted. But his Jesus refused to use that power, either in the garden when he was arrested or on the cross. Throughout his ministry, Jesus taught about God's kingdom, how it was to be on earth as it is in heaven. 
He did not call for the sword. He said, love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Blessed are the peacemakers. If Judas was attempting to coerce Jesus, he made a terrible miscalculation. Clearly, he had not understood what Jesus had been teaching. And so we come to today, more than 2,000 years later, and we have to ask the question, what right do we have to condemn Judas? Maybe we would be better served to look in the mirror. Not because what Judas did was right, but because many of us continue to betray the Lord every day in subtle and not so subtle ways, and we have the benefit of knowing how the story ended. Judas did not. I wish he had, because maybe if Judas had known and understood how the story would end, while Jesus hung on the cross, Judas could have knelt at his feet. He could have looked up at him as the thief who had been forgiven, hung beside Jesus, and asked for forgiveness, and Judas's story might have ended differently. We know the ending, and Judas did not. So are we like Mary, who gave extravagantly to Judas? Do we bow before him with tears and adoration? Or are we like Judas? Are we greedy, giving the Lord our leftovers, hoarding our resources because we don't have faith in God's provision? Are we prideful? Do we reject the Spirit's guidance in favor of our own counsel? Do we preserve our status by concluding that some work is beneath our dignity? Do we put others in their place? Do we manipulate? Do we control? Do we develop our own plans, call them God's plan for us, and try to convince others to do what we wish? Do we set priorities that further our own agendas and claim that they are God's priorities? Do we attempt to coerce the Lord to our will? I wrote this message the Thursday before Ash Wednesday. It was different the way I wrote it than the way it's coming out today. I was up last night, and I have to share my heart with you about something that's important something that I think we need to stand up about as a church and as a people. I'm a little afraid. There is something wrong in a state, in a country, where a 19-year-old can go buy an assault weapon when he can't even go to the grocery store and buy a beer. There is something wrong in a country where we've expanded upon the meaning of the Second Amendment to mean that our children should play, pay for our right to own an assault weapon with their lives. This is the season of Lent, and friends, I repent today. I repent today because of my own failing 10 years ago. 10 years ago, my name appeared on a political flyer saying, vote for Pam Dubo for property appraiser. 
She supports your Second Amendment rights. My husband, who I know you know I love, was a card-carrying member of the NRA. It was something we didn't agree about, but it didn't keep me from loving him with my whole heart. I am not calling for an end to our ownership of guns privately or for the abolishment of Second Amendment. But in the days the amendment was written, there were no assault rifles. There were not machine guns. Our children weren't raised on a diet of video games that taught them that when you shoot someone dead, they jump back up to play the game again. But I'm not just going to talk about this. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to do something about it because talk isn't enough. I have written a letter to my congressman and to my state representative. And I lay them on this chancel rail humbly. Last night, I logged onto the website of the supervisor of elections and I re-registered as a voter to a person with no party affiliation because no party represents me. And two or three years ago, I was a Republican office holder, but both parties are guilty of inaction. I listened to Terry Garvin talk before about our financial situation here. I know that the mailing that went out that endorsed me for property appraiser cost about $14,000. And four of us shared the benefit of that endorsement. So my quarter of that $14,000 is $3,500. And because I am serious about repenting, about betraying Jesus by pandering to our culture's wants, instead of what the Lord would have had me do, I'm going to take that $3,500 and I'm going to double it and I'm going to add $7,000 to my pledge because I'm speaking to you honestly today. I know some of you are probably not happy with what you're hearing me say. I am not condemning you. I was married to a man for 36 years who was a member of the NRA. I loved him and I love you. If you disagree with me, Please don't send angry emails to Pastor Bob. Send them to me. I can stand on my own two feet, and I would love to meet you and have a cup of coffee and talk about where I'm coming from so we understand each other. I love you and respect you enough to do that. But today, I want to share with you a, a statement from Bishop Carter. He sent it out Wednesday or Thursday, and this is what he said. On this Ash Wednesday, our services announced the biblical imperative to repent and believe the gospel. In light of today's shootings, we repent from our participation in a culture of death. We acknowledge the harm we do to others, and we claim the power of the cross that breaks the cycle of violence and retaliation. We also grieve with the communities of Parkland and Coral Springs, Florida, in the deaths of 17 persons and the wounding of many others on the campus of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. A number of surrounding United Methodist churches have students at this school 
and our connection will support their healing ministry in the days ahead. And when I read this statement by the bishop, and I read the part that says, we acknowledge the harm we do to others from our participation in the culture of death, I recognized 10 years too late that I had participated in that culture. I want to read a poem for you and then say a prayer to close. I hope you'll think about this poem. It spoke volumes to me. It came from a book called All of the Apostles of the Bible by Herbert Lockyer. This is what it says. It may not be for silver, it may not be for gold, but yet by tens of thousands the prince of life is sold. Sold for a godless friendship, sold for a selfish aim, sold for a fleeting trifle, sold for an empty name. Sold in the name of science, sold in the seat of power, sold at the shrine of fortune, sold in pleasure's bower. Sold for your awful bargain, none but God's eyes can see. Ponder, my soul, the question, shall he be sold by me? Sold, oh God, what a moment, stilled in conscience voice. Sold, and a weeping angel records the fatal choice. Sold, but the price accepted to a living coal shall turn with the pangs of a late repentance deep in the soul to burn. My soul is burning today. Some of you might say, Pastor Pam, we're not supposed to talk about politics in the pulpit. I don't think this is about politics. I think this is about the church's role in creating a redemptive environment where our culture can become more like us instead of us becoming like our culture. Our book of discipline has social principles and one of them says, children must be protected from economic, physical, emotional, and sexual exploitation and abuse. And as for politics, under the heading of political responsibility, it says, the strength of a political system depends upon the full and willing participation of its citizens. The church should continually exert a strong ethical influence upon the state, supporting policies and programs deemed to be just and opposing policies and programs that are unjust. That's what I've attempted to do here today. And now I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Almighty God, merciful God, we ask for your mercy upon the seven 14-year-olds the two 15-year-olds, the 16-year-old, the 17-year-old, the 18-year-old, and the adults, and the 19-year-old shooter whose lives crashed together in Florida this week. We pray for the families of Alyssa Aldadef, Martin Duke, Aaron Fees, Chris Hickson, Kara Lauren, Jaqueen Oliver, Meadow Pollock, Alex Shatter, Peter Wong, Scott Beagle, 
Nicholas Dorett, Jamie Gutenberg, Luke Hoyer, Gina Montaldo, Elena Petty, Haleda Ramsey, and Charmin, Carmen Shentrup. Receive them into your arms. Comfort their families. And forgive us for whatever role we play as individuals and as the church in allowing yet another tragedy like this to occur. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.